Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Sam, are you ready to have the time of your life? (laughs) Yes, and also, (laughs) yes, and I love when you have a pre-written little catchphrase in the beginning because... It's so sweet. <laughs> well, I got to start it off somehow. That's just the most obvious one. Yeah, there's probably like, Sam, are you ready to get out of the corner? <laughs> Something like that. That brings back memories of the Blair Witch, though. So, Yes. Wow. The only similarity between Dirty Dancing <laughs> and the Blair Witch is putting people into corners for various reasons. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh, Lizzie. This, uh, this is so funny. We're doing Dirty Dancing. I love this movie and I originally chose to do this movie for my birthday because on our birthday we get to do like a non-gay film any film we want but as I started researching like four minutes into researching I was like wait this film is gay enough to put (laughs) as a regular episode so I can cash in my birthday later but Uh, you had never seen it though I had never seen it I know it was like it's been one of Lizzie's favorites forever for as long as I've known her and I don't know if anyone relates to this, but sometimes when I know a movie's going to be really good, I put off watching it because I'm not ready to like have my life changed yet. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those things where there was before Dirty Dancing and there'll be after Dirty Dancing. So <laughs> I've, I've pushed it off as long as I could. But I remember getting that call from Lizzie like three days before we recorded this being like, Sam, it's gay. <laughs> <laughs> And it's kind of gay in the way that Hocus Pocus is and that a lot of its creators are gay. Um, Though, Sam, I think while we were watching it, you had some arguments for some of the characters being homosexually. Sure did. And so I would love for you to make those arguments because that was not something that I ever clocked. Yeah, you you saw this at such a young age that I mean, I'm probably one of the like few people in the world that's had like a new experiences with this movie. But Coming in at 2022, first watch, I was like, wow, this is really gay. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we can ask for in these movies. This goes to show if you're a grown homosexual, the stuff you probably liked as a kid, regardless of how hetero it appeared, (laughs) is probably gay. Grease. Grease. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. Everything. (laughs) Everything you've ever held dear is gay. (laughs) Exactly. And I was so pleased to hear that with this film. I was also really pleased to dive into... Just the lore and the production and all the fun facts of this movie because it has tons. And in order to do that, I got to pull out my DVD player, my trusty DVD player yet again because I am not lying to you when I say in all seriousness, I own two DVDs. One of them is the Dirty Dancing first disc with the feature on it. And the other one is the Dirty Dancing second disc with all the special (laughs) features. Oh my god! This is literally the only DVD I own. And so... There's so many wonderful behind-the-scenes things that they did for this movie. And did you know this movie is 35 this year? 35. Wow. It's a cornerstone It could be the president. (laughs) (laughs) It's old enough to run for president. And I would fucking vote for this movie to run the country. I'm so glad. Uh, Throwing it over to Lee. Lee Garcia, have you ever seen this movie? I don't think I've ever seen this movie in entirety. I've seen clips from it, and then I've seen like... um, spoofs of it like where Mm. people are like shot for shot recreating the scenes and stuff which i thought was pretty cool but yeah this is um this is kind of a blind spot for me oh great this will be fun (laughs) it's not like we'll be spoiling because you know 
everybody knows what yeah. happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's in the canon. It's like Sixth Sense. It's like, all right, we, we get the ending before we even get there. Before we jump too much into this film, though, uh, we want to thank all of the lovely patrons that have joined our Patreon. It's a really fun time over there. We're always adding new stuff. We're changing up the tiers. So um, if you wanted to come at a little lower of a tier, we've made one of those for you. Um, so please feel free to check it out at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. But please remember that if you want to support us in a non-monetary way, you can always do that through our social medias. Or if you just want to keep listening, we're really very glad you're here. So glad you're here, especially for this one. Especially for this one. Lizzie, this movie permeated my brain so quickly. Then like <laughs> next day, I was using it as like an example in my therapy session. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I love like you can pull an allegory for life's life lessons out of these movies. I did the same thing during Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. That shit came up in my therapy session too. Our therapists are probably so sick of us like describing our trauma <laughs> through the plot of like a really old fucking movie. They're like, wow, yet another coping mechanism. This one's got <laughs> humor and movie fun fact deflection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's just get right the freaking heck into it, because I've got a lot to say about this movie. Um, so a quick synopsis. Dirty Dancing stars Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey and tells the story of Frances Baby Hausman, a young woman who falls in love with dance instructor Johnny Castle at a summer vacation resort in the 1960s. Some people who are responsible for this film, who I, I owe my life to in a weird way, um, one of them is the writer and one of the producers, Eleanor Bergstein, um, she's a cool lady. She actually based this story on her own childhood. She grew up Jewish. Her father was a doctor. Her family would vacation in the Catskills every summer where this film is set. Wow. And her nickname, even as a kid, was Baby. Wow. And I found this cute interview with her, and she says, I always worry they will put, nobody puts Baby in a corner on my tombstone. Can you just imagine? <laughs> So she's got quite a legacy behind her. Once she wrote this film, she partnered with a producer named Linda Gottlieb. And let me tell you, they had a hell of a time getting this film funded. It was told no by 43 different companies before they finally found a production company who wanted to use this as their first feature. Jeez, 43? Um, like at that time, what, in like 87? Yeah. How are there like even 43 <laughs> companies to tell you no? Could you imagine hearing no 43 times? But then even the yes was like a very like conditional yes because they had to settle for half of their intended budget. So they ended up going with a first-time director and it was not an easy production from what I can tell from all the interviews. Like it was very... Low budget, independent, make it work. Like they couldn't get their first choice on much. Mm. Um, so they just kind of worked with what they had. Uh, and they put a lot of intention and creativity specifically into the cast and the dance and the choreography behind the dance, which if you look at this film, it is like one of the most, it is the most important part. Oh, is yeah. The chemistry between all these actors and all the choreography they're putting together. Yeah, I would also say it's the gayest part. Yeah. Because, I mean, Ken, are we talking about Kenny Ortega yet? Let's bring in Kenny Ortega, because you know <laughs> Kenny Ortega is a part of this. This is uh, becoming like a Kenny Ortega podcast. Yeah. I, he just sneaks out, like, you know, in every fucking episode. But, yeah, he choreographed this film. I'm sure Lizzie has, like, a million things to say about that. But, I mean, every time people are dancing, and it's so hetero, they're basically having hetero sex, mm -hmm. like, whenever you see people dancing together. But it feels really 
explorative in a queer way. And it's so strange to say, but like, if I didn't know this was choreographed by Kenny Ortega, I would still think it felt gay. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, And in fact, I want to play you a quick clip from my special features DVD. Oh my gosh. Um, This is Kenny Ortega talking about the dance and how they developed the dance style for Dirty Dancing. This is about my 11th picture as a choreographer. And it doesn't feel like anything I've ever done before. You know, there's a lot more dancing in it for one thing. And the dancing has a lot more to do with the continuity of the story and the development of the characters. Where in other musical pictures, the dancing sometimes and often is is uh, separate from the story. Uh, yeah, Leslie just showed me a clip of Kenny Ortega working through the choreography with uh, the dancers and then the principal actors. And I think he like made a really good point. When you see choreography in movies, oftentimes it's supplemental to the story. In this movie in particular, you see the characters grow through their dancing style and how they dance with each other. And I can't imagine like how exciting that must have been as a choreographer where it is like the focus of your work. Yeah, absolutely. And I always knew there was something special and there was like more to this movie because I love dance films. I've loved, I love any dance film, but most of them are pretty bad. The scripts are usually pretty bad. The dancing is usually the best part of the movie. And I can still say that about this film because the dancing is so good, but the story supports what we're seeing in the choreography so much. And we'll talk about this as we get into the plot, but the main character, Baby, from the first time we see her dance to the last time we see her dance, is like a whole different person. Mm -hmm. And they really show the physical movement of their bodies together and how their relationship grows. And and when I heard him say that, it really clicked for me. I was like, oh, that's what makes Dirty Dancing so special is that under all this like beautiful, stunning work that these dancers are doing, there's this character development and this plot development and these very relatable subjects that we don't I mean, we talk about abortion in this film, which as a kid never registered to me. I knew that like this dancer was in trouble and we cared about her, but it never registered why. And looking back at it now, especially with everything fucking going on in the world, it it's such a special way that this film brought in all these serious things. And we also talk about class and we also talk about, you know, sex and first love, like all these really tender things. But at the heart of it is all dance. And Kenny Ortega. He looks so cute. Yeah. In in case you hadn't seen our Hocus Pocus episode, Kenny Ortega is the director of that film and probably everything else you loved as a kid, uh, but was a choreographer first. And this is very like choreography forward. I do want to draw like sort of a weird line. We're talking about how Kenny mentioned that dancing can often be lost or is just like an addition to the plot of the story. And it reminds me of like two very different films that use like an art form as like a lens. And I'm thinking of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Mm. where the attention to the change in her art is like every scene. She's really trying, I mean, there's no spoilers in what I'm about to say, but the protagonist is really trying to draw And we see the advancement of that drawing throughout the film. And then Titanic, which uses drawing (laughs) as more of just like a lens to look at Kate Winslet for like a moment. But I know it seems like very far-fetched, but this definitely more felt like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Absolutely. And it also, in this world that Dirty Dancing paints, there's such a stark divide between the kind of lower class vibe of the dancing and entertainment staff, they call them, and the guests and the management staff of the resort. There's no reason for Baby and Johnny to be in any 
situation together except for in this teaching scenario where he's teaching her how to dance and exchanging this information um, and in turn like showing her something about her body. And I love you're pointing it out with Portrait of a Lady on Fire because those two women would have no other reason to spend that much time alone yeah, you know, in that world without that art to kind of bring them together in that space. Yeah, there's a class divide there as well and the same yeah. in Titanic. Yeah. Like oh, the person wow. of a lower class is always teaching the person of a higher class something they've always like yearned to discover. This even has a faint whiff of my policeman in it with <laughs> yes. Patrick wanting to, Tom wanting to learn from Patrick all about art and advance himself. And yeah, it's just interesting. So yeah, let's get into, oh wait, oh wait, I cannot even move forward without mentioning the director of this film is Emil Ardolino. He was an openly gay man, and this was actually his directorial debut in film. He Shut came, the fuck up. Could you imagine? First of all, he did have a very extensive theater background. Mm. So he was very involved both as an actor, producer, director in theater. And before he passed away from complications with AIDS in 1993, he gave us this film. He gave us Gypsy starring Bette Midler. And he also gave us Sister Act starring Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, my gosh. So Emil Ardolino, pour one out. Dude, um, what a fucking giant. I know. Wow. Uh, that is so incredible. And I know you mentioned he had like a lot of theater experience, but mm. to to go from theater to a regular like film is difficult enough, a film medium, but also choreography is is really hard to capture correctly when the the subjects are spinning around constantly and you have to follow these rules of cinema where you're not trying to flip perspective every five seconds. I think he did a fantastic job. I could not tell that this was their first feature. Absolutely not. No, the craft of this film is good enough that it does not feel like the low budget that it is. Um, it doesn't feel like they settled for literally half of the budget they were going for. Yeah. Um, and he took a lot of care with it. And sadly, because he passed in the 90s, a lot of these people who outlived him, Patrick Swayze and Kenny Ortega and Bergstein and Jennifer Grey, they were able to kind of retrospectively look back at the legacy of Dirty Dancing, but he f unfortunately passed only six years after the film's release. So I I know in that time he knew the success it was. It was insanely successful when it came out, but I wish, I would love to just hear what he has to say about the film 35 years later, but you know, we get what we get and we recognize him for giving us my favorite film. I've said that a bunch on this podcast. This is one of my top three. Yeah, but, but and I want to make it super clear. We have proven that this is gay, so Lizzie has to pick another not gay film for us to watch for her birthday. I'm I'm so curious as what you're going to dig up because <laughs> I feel like all your favorite films are gay. It's going to have to be like Bambi or something, like something just so sterile. <laughs> Good luck. Don't turn to Fast and the Furious or any masculine no. films. It will not pan out for you. <laughs> all right, so let's get into the plot. tell the listener that Lizzie and I have had a very long friendship uh, bookmarked by many mixtapes given to each other. I have like a whole binder full of 
mixtapes from Lizzie. And before I had seen Dirty Dancing, I just assumed she really liked the 60s. And then I watched this movie with her and every single song was from this film. Every song that she would put on the mixtape from the 60s was from this film specifically. I bought this album consistently. It is such a good soundtrack. Do you have it like in every medium? Yes. Vinyl, digital, CD, the the. DVD I have came with a commemorative CD. Um, <laughs> iTunes. I can just sing Hit all clip. the... Yeah, <laughs> I can sing all the songs, just raw dog. <laughs> Acapella, unprompted. Some of them are karaoke. Yeah, seriously, the music of this film is so iconic. So yeah, like you said, it's the 60s. It's the summer, 1963. Baby Hausman, played by Jennifer Grey, and her family are headed into the Catskills for the summer. And Baby, she's she's an innocent girl. She's probably a straight-A student. She's a daddy's girl. She wants to join the Peace Corps. And I want to take a little bit to talk about the cast of her fam. So we got Jennifer Grey, obviously. Phenomenal actress. This was definitely the biggest role of her career. She still acts in TV movies and TV shows and stuff like that. But this was definitely like the shining star on the crown of Jennifer Grey. And you might have recognized her from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She plays the Matthew sister. Broderick's sister. She's the only one with any sense in that whole fucking movie. Her and <laughs> yeah, his true. friend. I, I, Cameron? Can I tell yeah. you something right now? Yeah. I can't fucking stand Ferris Bueller. Uh, I could totally see that. No, like if I knew him, I would hit him in the face. He's so like main characters. Like, yeah, we get it. You're self-centered. But I do love that movie though. He's a dick and his girlfriend's too hot for him. Please continue. Uh, Kenny Ortega choreograph that movie anyway um so uh, her father is played by an actor named jerry orbach who i only bring up because he also voiced the gay candlestick lumiere in beauty and the beast which i think is just so random and funny every movie we talk about feels like it touches every other movie we've talked about directly it's like the chart <laughs> it's it's the chart the l word chart yeah yes exactly and also baby's mother is played by kelly bishop who we were like racking our brains. It never clicked with this, but we were watching it with our friend Leanne and she was like, isn't that Lorelai's mom from Gilmore Girls? Yeah, Lizzie and I spent the first like hour, however many minutes being like, who the fuck is this I lady? Know, this woman. And our friend Leanna walked in with like, I don't know, for two seconds was like, hey, she's from Gilmore Girls. And I was like, <gasps> <gasps> oh my God, something relating back to Gilmore Girls, you know, Kenny Ortega directed 12 episodes of Gilmore Girls. What? Everyone knows everyone. This was a big web. They were making these f- television shows and films for 20 years, being like, this will be so funny when Sam and Lizzie realize that we've done all of this shit. <laughs> They're doing it for us. Yeah. The future. Yes. All right. So that's her fam. They're heading off into the Catskills. And this resort is like part summer camp, part like rich people retreat. They have like a bunch of silly little games and classes that baby... Uh, engages in for the first part of the film and this is where we see her dance for the first time Mm -hmm. she goes to like a little group dance class uh, where she ends up getting paired with like an old lady and we can tell right away this girl is not in tune with her body she's very innocent she's definitely a virgin like she is just a good straight a student sandra d sandra d Mm -hmm. much but she has a good heart and god i've literally seen this movie like i'm not kidding probably like 55 times and i noticed something in this last watch for the podcast that i've never noticed before what so right after the first time we see baby dance there's just a quick scene of her leaving her family's cabin by herself and kind of like running off into the evening and exploring the grounds alone and this song plays in the background let me know if you recognize it 
So they work the final number into the score. That's really sweet. There's a person on TikTok who's like a professional pianist, and she takes requests for people like, hey, can you make Blink-182's All the Small Things into a wedding <laughs> a wedding walk? Oh and God. she like does it. And yeah, it's, re- it's reminiscent of that because it's all in piano. Yeah, it's literally, I watched this last night and I heard the score cue and I started to tear up because it's so... Poetic. It's literally immediately after we see her dance for the first time. And she's wearing like this little summer dress and this uh, cardigan. She looks so innocent and young. And then contrasting with the next time we hear the song, which is the final performance in the whole movie, the final song of the whole film, she's a totally different person. And I, I just never noticed that before. It's such a beautiful full arc of that track of her dance personality coming out. And I just... Had to yeah. share. Like it's going from black and white to color. Exactly. You see it like transition. Uh, and it's such a beautiful score, a uh, piece of score. All right. So anyway. So yeah, like I mentioned earlier, we kind of start to get the lay of the land on the resort. We kind of see very quickly that the entertainment staff, the dance staff basically are talked down to and treated lesser than the management staff. And they're also expected to stay away from the guests. Think Titanic. Yes. They're not supposed to ever engage except for in these like very public neutered ways where they're engaging in like classes or or trades or whatever. And so this element of like privileged versus working class pervades the whole film. But it's it's definitely both ways because Johnny and Penny and all the dancers want absolutely nothing to do with Baby Houseman in the very beginning. They are very rude to her, very aggressively like, what the fuck are you doing here kind of vibe. And it's understandable because they're usually treated like shit by all the rich guests and by the management staff who are all like Yale and Harvard hopefuls and stuff like that. So we see this really play out in the next scene, which is the scene where she helps that guy carry the watermelons into the <laughs> dirty dancing party. I carried a watermelon. <laughs> carried a watermelon? <laughs> I love that line. It's so cute. This is where she sees lots of things for the first time. She gets to see Johnny Castle, played by Patrick Swayze, dance with his dance partner Penny, played by Cynthia Rhodes. And she also gets to see what is described as dirty dancing for the first time, which is, how would you describe it? They're having sex. They're having sex through their clothes. Gyrating. It's not, I wouldn't even call it dancing so much. Like they're just dry humping. Johnny Castle comes in and he dances with Penny. Yeah. Um, But the other people are just like, under the pants fucking. Yeah. For sure. Letting it all out. And it's like very sweaty and very dark. So different from like the well-lit ballrooms of the classes she's been going to at the resort. Yeah. And she's stunned. She's like shook. She probably has never even seen porn. Oh, she's definitely never seen porn. She's no. definitely never probably even kissed a boy. Maybe like in fifth grade. Yeah. Like maybe in a school play. Yeah, exactly. But we're going to take a quick pause to talk about Patrick Swayze. Swayze. Okay, I I wrote some notes for this, and this is one of them. Like, were they both dancers before this? Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, I mean. Jennifer Grey had some, like, childhood classes under her belt, and she's obviously a very fit woman. And um, one of the stipulations for both of these cast members, and in fact all of the dancing cast members, is that they had to be able to perform all of the dancing themselves. So choreography was the first part of the audition process, it was like, bring a song on cassette to dance to in the audition, and then we'll also run lines if you're good enough at dancing kind of thing. Nice. Um, Patrick Swayze, however, is insanely well-trained in dance. So he's a Texas boy. 
Hey. Born and raised in Houston, his mom had a dance studio, so from the time he could pretty much walk, she had him in her studio and trained him in ballet, and he trained ballet professionally well into his 20s. He went to New York, and that was like kind of the first career path he followed um, before eventually turning to acting, but I love Patrick Swayze, and the more I learned about him, he has so many skills that he's acquired for films for himself. He played football in high school. He learned ice skating and several forms of martial arts in addition to his professional ballet training as a young man. For films, he's learned to surf, to roller dance. He's learned to skydive. Roller dance. He's been in drag. He always does his own stunts. And then on his free time, he has a ranch in California where he bred and trained horses. And on top of that, he renovated his own house with his own two hands. He's kind of like one of those people who just like, decides they want to do something and instead of just like dabbling they're like i'm going to do it 100 percent. i'm gonna be professional at it exactly he's very intense in interviews or he was because he actually passed away in 2009 after a battle with cancer at age 57 and i'm still not over it and i still talk to my therapist about it and i'm not okay i only laugh because i'm that makes me really sad I only laugh because it makes me sad. I think it's funny that you talk to your therapist about Patrick Swayze, but it does make me very sad that he's passed away. Yeah. He was definitely gone too soon. And yeah, one other thing he decided to do and did was write a song that went to the very top of the Billboard 100 charts. What the fuck? What song did he write? We will more on that later. What? But he was always so worried about being like shoved into a box of like a sex symbol. Mm. I mean, in 1991, he was nominated by people to be like the sexiest man alive. And that's all well and good. But what he really wanted was to be taken seriously as an actor, turned down tons and tons of roles for action movies and romances before and after Dirty Dancing because he didn't just want to be shoehorned into just like a beautiful person with... The, not the personality to back it up in the plots. And it's so funny the problems other people have. He was too hot. I know. And he was worried about being the hot guy. Like that's that's objectively hilarious. He's so like multi-talented. And it's just funny that people wake up and they're like, I hope people don't think of me as a hot guy. <laughs> yeah, right. It is kind of a funny problem to have. Not anything I've ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I I can totally see that, though. Like, with fame, it kind of just flattens you. Like, your personality doesn't matter if you're hot. Yeah, Megan Fox you know? comes exactly. to mind. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I, I completely understand where he's coming from. And, yeah, he's taken so many, like, a varied amount of characters. I'm thinking of The Outsiders. Yeah. I think that was a really good role for him. And it didn't flatten him in the case that everyone in that movie was really hot. So mm -hmm. he was just another hot person in a hot cast. But also a very, like, intensely rich and emotional story about masculinity in that time period. You know, it wasn't just, like, hot boys being hot. It was hot boys with emotions <laughs> being hot. Being sad. <laughs> being sad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so back at the Dirty Dancing house party, Johnny brings Baby out on the dance floor and starts to teach her to move, to loosen up. And we see she's totally smitten, not just with Johnny, but just the whole lifestyle of this like freedom that she can allow herself to have. And it comes in handy because almost immediately after this, on a terrible date with this little wormy boss guy. Yeah, that guy sucks. That guy sucks. Uh, Bobby spots Penny crying in the kitchen. And when she goes to get Johnny, we learn that Penny is pregnant, but doesn't have enough money for an abortion. And baby's first assumption, like 
her father later in the film is that the baby is Johnny's and that mm -hmm. he's gotten her into trouble. But it's in fact uh, Robbie, one of the Yale bound waitstaff. Yeah, who's dating um, baby's sister. Yeah. And he's a total fucking creep. It's it's just hilarious that all the waiters like go to Yale. That's so stupid. Right. Like, I guess they all just want to own a hotel later in life. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to Cornell for like hotel management. I'm like, they have a hotel management degree at Cornell. What the fuck? Yeah. But I guess in, in contrast to that, at one point in the film, Patrick's, um, Johnny's like, well, my uncle got me into the union. And baby's like, what union? He says, plumbers and electrician. You know, so all the staff on the dancer side really are coming from kind of these blue collar backgrounds. And this is probably the best and most fun job they have access to at that moment. Or else like fucking Patrick Swayze be plugging people's toilets and shit. Like mm -hmm. it's not right. But the way that abortion is handled in this film, like the older I get, the more it strikes me as like really well done and really well cared for. And Bergstein, the writer and the producer of the film, was very adamant about this being a part of the film, even though it was definitely a part of those 43 no's. And it got the film turned down by many people in post for sponsorship of the film. Um, but I think that the angle of the abortion storyline in this film is better than most, if not I mean, I have, you know, there's still movies coming out in the last year or two that handle it better, but still one of the most empathetic portrayals of the woman's side of this, which is the most important side of this, um, but also really paints to me what's the most infuriating part about being in this situation is that the man, in this case, Robbie, has no, he has no accountability for these actions. It's all on her to figure out the money, to go through the procedure, to coordinate all these details to try to like not get fired, you know, and I think they did a really good job of treating her well, even baby's father, who does not agree with the lifestyle and the choices made that got her into this situation, treats her with absolute respect, gives her the medical attention she needs and uh, respects her for the position she's in and does not respect Robbie in the end when he finds out. So it's even been called a golden standard for cinematic portrayals of abortion by a 2013 study about abortion-related plots in American film and television. Um, and I totally agree. Yeah, I, I think it was portrayed really well, and they didn't use it as a plot device, which you see very often in films. It's reminding me of another film that came out much later, but is one of my favorites, Riding in Cars with Boys, mm. uh, starring Drew Barrymore. But if you haven't seen that film, it's really old. I'm surprised you haven't, but uh, Brittany Murphy's in it, and she does an incredible job. But Drew Barrymore's character gets pregnant, ends up having a child, and a lot of the film is told in these flashbacks, but one of which she tries to like force a miscarriage and mm -hmm. is not able to, and then is not able to get access to. And then the rest of the film is about her being a mother. And I think that that's a really great perspective to take because it would have been much easier to just show her get pregnant and be like, now it's time to be a mother. Right. But there is this middle part um, that happens, especially in like period pieces like that, where women don't have any option. And it shows like the barriers that this particular character has to go through to even have the choice to have an abortion. And and also one thing I do like about this film that as I've gotten older, I've, I've kind of recognized the difference between more modern films about abortion is that Penny has already made the choice. This is not like her struggling about like, oh, do I keep the pregnancy or not? It's like she knows what she has to do in her life right now. And now it's just about finding the safest and 
only affordable way to do that. And in her case, it's it ends pretty terribly. But I really appreciated that that character is fully rounded and fully knows her decision. And also that everyone in the film around her respects that decision. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, if you look at it, it's kind of the inciting incident for the whole story. Yeah. Uh, her inability to pay for the abortion and to find someone to take her place at this performance they have uh, at another hotel later that week directly leads to baby then kind of signing on she ends up asking her father for the money doesn't tell him why and agrees to be johnny's partner for this performance so that penny doesn't lose her job which funnels us right into the best training montage of all time i do want to point out that there was a lot of moments in this movie where i told lizzie like Johnny Castle is gay for, <laughs> right. for a lot of different reasons, but it's giving Twilight. I'm sorry I'm bringing up Twilight, whatever, you're used to it. <laughs> but you know when Edward smells Bella and is like repulsed, yeah, he's like, <laughs> she thinks he's like repulsed by her and then spends the first like 30 minutes of that movie avoiding her like ferociously. I think that Johnny Castle is giving the exact same level of disdain for Jennifer Grey. I want you to know... That if someone treats you like this outside of a feature film, they do not like you at all, and they are probably gay. (laughs) If this man was treating me like this, I'd be like, oh, he is gay. Yeah. And also that he doesn't want to be with Penny. It's like, okay. Insane chemistry, however, doesn't ever want to back it up. Yeah. It was – I smelled something. You did? I was, like, totally fighting it. I was like, what? No. He's not gay. They're, like, they're just so in love. I was like, okay, right. (laughs) Towards the end, though, I was like, fine, I fucking see it. <laughs> the end is what saved it for me. If if they didn't, if the end wasn't so, like, romantic, I, I'd, have, I'd have had different conclusions about this film. <laughs> There's, like, an alternative ending somewhere where it's just, like, Johnny riding off into, night, into the night and meeting up with his boyfriend. Yes. And that's the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Can we please hold on? Can Can I send you a clip? Yes. Going all the way is like a really big decision. I can't believe I was so capricious about it. Dee, I almost had sex with him. You almost had sex with who? Christian. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yo, look, are you bitches blind or something? Your man Christian is a cake boy. A what? He's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. Know what I'm saying? Uh Uh-uh, no way. He's gay. Yes, even. He does like to shop share, and the boy can dress. Oh my god, I'm totally bugging. Uh, I just had Lizzie watch a clip from one of my favorite movies, Clueless, but this is exactly how I was feeling watching this movie. I was like, Lizzie, your man Christian is a cake boy. (laughs) And I was like, no way. I'm totally bugging. Uh, Honestly, I love that read of the film. I'm totally <laughs> happy with that. And Jennifer Grey has her gay best friend for life after this. Yes, and I am completely taking a license to do Clueless in the future. Yes, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a really cute moment in the montage I wanted to show you, not because it's gay or anything, but because I just learned something fun about it. Sure. I wanted to show you. description of that scene? Yeah, this is a part of the training montage where Johnny is teaching Jennifer 
uh, basically how to move and how to dance. And he's like tracing in like a really sensual moment in the dance routine. He's tracing like his hand down her body and it like grazes her armpit at one point and she just keeps breaking out laughing until like finally getting it right at the end. I found this out while I was doing my research. I just thought it was really cute. Um, So this is like not how it was supposed to go. It was supposed to just be like a very sensual moment, but it was like 4 a.m. on a really long shooting day and it was fucking freezing and Jennifer got the giggles and like couldn't stop laughing. It was just like super delirious because they were over their time that day. And Patrick Swayze was getting actually annoyed at her. (laughs) So his response in this shot is him just being like, can you please be a professional? And she's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. I won't do it again. Uh, Yeah. And you mentioned how like great this training montage is. And it's funny that this part is like candid, but they did like a fantastic job of slowly transitioning her from like goofy to actually sexy Mm -hmm. in a way that felt really natural and not like just a makeover scene where she gets like a new haircut and is like a woman. Exactly. Like you see her body getting better at the movements, but she also starts dressing a little sexier. Like her shirts get smaller and smaller and she puts on little skirts and at one point she puts on lipstick towards the end. Like she's starting to like feel herself. Mm -hmm. Also in this montage, I'm not going to show you this part, but everyone on planet Earth has probably seen this image. But we get them starting to work on the lift. Yeah. Which I put in all capitals. The lift. (laughs) And we get that iconic scene in the lake where he lifts her up out of the water and they kind of practice it and laugh together. Um, Another, like, not so surprising fact about this, it was apparently fucking freezing that day that they had to shoot that. It was like 40 degrees. Jeez. They were miserable. Jennifer says she thought her nipples were going to fall off. Oh, my God. I was very relieved that they didn't. Apparently, though, Kenny Ortega was, like, right there in the water with them, like, didn't want them to suffer alone. So it was in the water, even though he didn't have to be to, like, talk them through it. Um, But the lift becomes, like, a very important part of this because we go to the Show Drake Hotel, the performance that she's doing for Penny. And she's nervous and a little tight, but they make it through the routine. She doesn't do the lift, but they fucking make it. Before seeing this film, I assumed this was going to be the climax of, of the film, but I was very happy when I realized it wasn't. Yeah, but she still has like some way to go, which is, is nice as an audience member to like see someone struggle. It's it's annoying when you watch training movies and they train for like two weeks and then they're good at the thing and it works out for them. It's like that never happens to anyone. No, it's so realistic. Like she makes lots of mistakes, but even during the performance, you see her like loosen up and start to enjoy herself mm-hmm. um, and her personality shines through. She like does these like kind of goofy little things she's not <laughs> supposed to. And Patrick's ways, he's like, get over here. What the what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good moment. But after their show at the show, Drake, they go back to the resort to check on Penny I find that she is not okay. The supposed doctor performing her procedure was a total hack, and she is absolutely gray in total pain. There's blood all over the sheets, which, again, I really appreciated the, like, realness and the fear and the portrayal of this. The baby runs to her father, who's a doctor, and he's able to help Penny. And her father, like baby at first, also assumes that Johnny is the one that got her into this mess and treats them all with the exception of Penny, very rudely. I wish Johnny would speak up just a little bit. I really do like his character the more I think about it. But in that one scene where his dad was like, you got Penny in trouble, and he was like, think whatever you want to think, and stormed off, I'm like, you could have just told him. I always thought that as well, but the more I thought about it, I was like, he's probably tried, and he's probably failed. And he even says in the next scene, like, they treat me like nothing because I am nothing. Like, he was able to help her. He has a skill that helps save Penny. 
at a certain point, you're like, this man's doing something great and I am nothing, you know, and you just kind of accept that and move on. So to see her father come around in the end, her father apologizes to Johnny and says, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it's such a good bit of closure there. It's like a whole arc closed between these two side characters. So yeah, like I mentioned, Baby goes to Johnny's room. He feels like shit, but is glad Penny's okay. And they kind of comfort each other and end up sexing. Yeah. Um, great scene. Yeah, Baby really has garnered so much confidence at this point that she can like make an advance on someone. As a virgin, I'm right. assuming, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, like she is the one to seduce him. Mm -hmm. So this was like that fucking feminist sexual awakening. I was starting to watch at five years old. Like, <laughs> whoa, baby's so cool. <laughs> I want to be just like baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they continue to hang out that summer, start to fall in love, taking like secret dance lessons and meeting up on the side. And soon, though, Johnny is blamed for stealing from a hotel guest and Baby stands up for him, saying that she was with him that night, so he couldn't have done it. And though she, like, is telling the truth and put herself out there, he was fired anyway for canoodling with a guest. You can't have dancers that hot and expect them not to have sex with people. And it's so fucking annoying because in the uh, early scene in the movie, we see, like, the head of staff telling the waiters, like, you know, schmooze up the girls, even the ugly ones, like, mm -hmm. do whatever you want with them. And then he says specifically to the dance staff, like, except for y'all, don't touch them. Like, you can't have that kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like all nepotistic. Every All the waiters are like dorks who are children of millionaires, so they get to do whatever they want. It's just fucking annoying. And Robbie's the one that ends up doing the most damage. Like, Johnny doesn't do any damage. I'm sure they use protection. Like, Oh, my God. I'm so glad when he got punched. Ooh, ooh get fucked, Robbie. That ooh. was a good scene. Lizzie and I commented about how all the women were like, no one tried to stop Johnny from beating the shit out of this guy. No, they got closer. They, like, came in to watch. <laughs> but it was, it's such a good moment because he's doing it for Penny. He's doing it for himself. He's doing it for Baby. He's doing it for Lisa. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's just... We all wanted to see it. But Baby also has her moment, too. You remember when she goes to confront Robbie and try to get money from him for Penny's abortion? And he hands her that copy of The Fountainhead and said, you know, some people matter, some people don't. And yeah. she dumps water on him. Yeah. Like, you work. That was so satisfying. And gosh, people like that make The Fountainhead look bad. Lots of terrible people. It's like The Catcher in the Rye. It's like Fight Club. People take the wrong things from both, like from all of those things. Yeah. God. I really do like that book. I think I take the right things from it, though. Everyone's hot. Someone's an architect. Yeah. I, Be original to yourself. <laughs> it's like the Disney lessons of the Fountainhead. Yeah. You could tell Robbie Gould is the reason people hate people who read the Fountainhead. Absolutely. Fuck Robbie. So Johnny's fired, and he says goodbye to Baby and drives off into the sunset to this song. Can't look in the ride. Shut up, did he write that? Bitch! Is that the fucking song he wrote? That song is written and sung by Patrick motherfucking Swayze. I literally found that out four days ago and almost shit myself. There's... <laughs> he 
can do anything. And the fact that he's leaving to his own song is incredibly swag. So I hate using that word, but that is what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're going to pull that word out once on the podcast, it's in this context. He's, he's just awesome. <laughs> this is also the only song he's ever written and performed. And as soon as it released, it went to number three on the top Billboard 100 and stayed there for several weeks. Oh, my gosh. And is still played on the radio till today. What the fucking ass? Like, did he have a deal that it had to be included? Or was he just writing this on set and then was like, hey, I wrote this? He's been writing it for a few years and had actually, like, presented it to other films he'd worked on to see if they were interested in using it. And it was turned down. But the writer Bergstein, he brought it to her and she loved it and helped develop it and get it recorded specifically for this film. Is he a musician or this is just the only song he never felt like writing? Oh, yeah. He does play guitar. And sing. Mm, mm, and mm-hmm. he like has a recording studio at his ranch. So, but this is the only song he's ever released, but he was an amateur musician and mm. poet. Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> fine. All right, so we get to the final, the climax. The final night at the resort, the hotel has this giant talent showcase, and it all starts out really vanilla. Baby sitting in the corner, sad because her lover is gone. They're just singing stupid songs. It's honestly just so fucking boring. Even watching it knowing they were trying to make it seem boring was boring. (laughs) Yeah. They really nailed how boring and stupid and lame it was. But then Johnny, like, steps onto the scene with the rest of his Dirty Dancing crew, approaches Baby and her family and says one of the most iconic lines in movie history. Nobody puts Baby in a corner. Let's go. (laughs) I was like, okay, like, low-key, where did that come from? No, I'm into it. But what? (laughs) He didn't want to say the line, so they did a thing where they were like, okay, Patrick, yeah, I get it. The the line is bad. We'll do one with it just to get it and then one without it. And then, of course, they went with it. (laughs) But it's such an iconic line, mostly probably because it is a little bit, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. But, yeah, I love it. Okay. This is reminding me. I had seen Blade for the first time the night before I watched this, and I don't want to draw any lines between Blade and Dirty Dancing. But at the end of Blade, Blade wins. Obviously, it's a movie about Blade. And (laughs) he, like, defeats someone and goes, there's always some motherfucker trying to ice skate uphill. (laughs) You're like, okay. I was like, "Hmm." because Blade has said, like, two words this whole film before this. (laughs) So I was like, wait, there's always some. I was like, were we ice skating earlier? I was like, "Mm mm-mm. And it's a good line. And it's something I'll say. And I like that it's here. It did feel very fucking weird. It's like you kind of just have to shoot for the fences to make something stand out. And those are the moments we're going to remember and talk about. Yeah. And maybe it'll be because it's bad. Maybe it'll be because we got chill bumps when you said it. It's good. I'm, I'm of the <laughs> mind that it's good. I was surprised. <laughs> um, would you like to watch yes. the final scene? Okay. Okay, Lizzie just showed me the final scene. Iconic. I must ask, for me personally, did they have a relationship outside of this? No. Oh, wait. Not a romantic relationship. They had worked together on a film before this called Red Dawn, so they were familiar with each other. But however, there was actually moments on set where they would get into like little spats, like the giggle, (laughs) giggle down the armpit. That was like kind of a common occurrence on set. 
Um, but what the producers would do if they ever got like too heated or whatever, they would just show them their original test footage Aww. from whenever they were in casting because it, I, I won't show it to you. I'll just link it to you later and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's truly s- burning with chemistry. It's like Aww. them two and Kenny Ortega just like in a blank studio. And so they'll <laughs> show them that and they'll like kind of make up and get back together. But they did not have a romantic relationship. Uh, Patrick Swayze was already married to his wife, Lisa Naimi. Meanwhile, when Lizzie and I get into spats, Lee just sprays us with a water bottle like feral cats. <laughs> I'm so, I'm damp by the end of the episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Their fucking chemistry is like so fucking good. Jeez. This is like one of the most well-rounded finales of, gosh, cinematic history. We get the wrap-up of Baby's acceptance with her family, both her mom and her dad, kind of accept that this is a part of her now. We get the apology of her dad to Johnny. We even see her dad and Penny having a moment together. Uh, Once the whole cast starts dancing together, we see kind of all staff members and guests starting to intermingle and get along with each other. So there's kind of like this release of class tension, at least temporarily. And then we get the lift. She Mm -hmm. fucking nails the lift. So good. In front of everyone. And she has like reached her her pinnacle self. And of course, we hear the piece of score from earlier, but the original version now created for the film of I've Had the Time of My Life. All in all, just such a wonderful way to end this film. All these little arcs just tie up perfectly with a little bow. Yeah, it's it's actually perfect and i didn't expect to cry but i was fighting tears my first watch can you guess what part whenever he's like mouthing the words to her at the end well because it it all to you because at first you think he's just gonna mouth like a couple of the words and they're gonna cut away because it's like kind of a weird thing to do but he mouths like the whole line and it's just he looks like he's gonna cry oh it's so sweet but it's perfect for their relationship because They came together more through dancing together than they did, like, that led them to getting to know each other, and that led them to talking more and her asking about his past and him opening up to her, you know, but it started with the movement and the music and connecting on that level, so it is even more poignant that instead of just, like, saying, uh, I've had the time of my life and I owe it all to you, like, singing it just makes it even more intense and emotional. I cry every time. <laughs> is that it, is that when you cry? I cry like the whole movie, but I I always get chill bumps, and I'm just so full of joy. Uh, and that final moment between the two of them together, and the lift, girl, at the lift, I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, Lord, take me. I'm done. <laughs> oh, wonderful, incredible. All right, so we made it to the end. I want to talk a little bit about the reception and the legacy of Dirty Dancing. Nice. So, like I mentioned a million times earlier, this film had a low budget. It had a budget of $4.5 million. They Jeez. intended to have 10 And the original release plan for this film was to go directly to video. Uh, no one expected it to be very good. Like, at the rough cut stage, like, the studio hated it. Even Kenny Ortega was like, I literally felt sick to my stomach with the rough cut. Oh, I thought no. it was going to be so bad. But they eventually pulled it all together, mostly with the help of the music that was recorded for the film. And... They got one week release in theaters. That was the plan. 
In that first opening weekend, they made their entire budget back. Huh. And it stayed in theaters for months and made a total of $214 million in the box office. Jesus. On a $4.5 million budget. What the fuck? Within a month, there was 100 clubs for the film with viewers who had seen it in theaters over 100 times. What? It was like an instant classic. That's incredible, like how night and day that rough cut must have been. Oh, wow. But they pulled this out. It's it's so good. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the most insane reception arcs of a film because they really just put it in theaters for a week, planning to go straight to video after that. And it just exploded. And in fact, when it finally did go to video, it was the first film in history to sell over a million copies. Wow. And you have about 75 of those. <laughs> and I have 27% of those. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, this film was a huge success. It garnered a lot of mostly positive critical reviews. Um, yeah. So to like wrap this all out, this was your first time seeing it. Like, what were your expectations going in? And like, what was the actual reality of the film for you? Um, I have brain rot uh, <laughs> due to films like Step Up and Step Up to the Streets. I was afraid that the actual content of the film would be bad and that the film had been overhyped. And I was also in that vein worried it would be super good. Like I said, there is before and after. And I definitely feel like I'm so impressed and that the hype was completely called for. This movie is so fucking good. I'm I'm like, I'm very into it. I think I still maintain there's a chance Johnny Castle is gay. (laughs) (laughs) All the better. Yeah. I think that if you like juxtapose like the character in the beginning to the character in the end, it's a little jarring. The transition is nice, but it really made me question his sexuality in the best possible way. People are better when they're gay. So I was just giving him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, love this movie. Did you ever feel any like sapphic vibes between Penny and Baby? There was that scene that I know you were, like you really enjoy with all three of them, where they're like, Penny's helping them and she's like holding Baby while Baby's holding Johnny. And it's very like dream thruple fan fiction girl, right? Okay, I actually looked into the fan fiction for Dirty Dancing, and it is almost exclusively AU crossovers. With what? With all kinds of stuff? All kinds of stuff. Mostly Stranger Things. What? <laughs> like Stop. Steve Harrington Stop. as... Nip it in the bud. Let's Johnny's- move on to the next topic. I cannot. <laughs> all right. The only thing we got left to do, baby, is score this thing. Let's do it. Sam, could you explain the scores for me? Yeah. How the subtextual score works is we rate the film on how good it is and how gay it is, and then we get an average subtextual score. Out of 10. Out of 10. So, Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is this movie? I fuck with it. I'm going to give it a 7.5. Mm-hmm. I think legally Lizzie has to give it a 10. It's like a 12. <laughs> Can I do that? Can I, like, take two points from another film I've done and put it on this one? No, but I'll remember that you said 12. <laughs> <laughs> I give this film a 10, obviously, because it shaped my entire life. Um, Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how gay is Johnny Castle? Uh, tricky tricky hey uh i think this film is gay in like essence like it smells gay there's like gay all over it but my scale is on gay sex so i'm gonna have to give it a three and a half three and a half i was actually thinking a three okay for myself i mean there's kenny ortega it all seems really gay you just give it some points for i just give it some points for that emil ardolino Mm -hmm. 
and just the vibe. And I saw this TikTok a few days ago that was um, two men getting married, and at their reception, they like did this dance, <gasps> including the lift, they and did they the nailed lift. it. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. so sweet. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So with that, this film receives a subtextual score of six. Pretty good for something that's like technically straight. Yeah, technically super hetero. Yeah. It tried. It really <laughs> tried. Oh, but here we are. Here we are. We found it. Oh, my God. Sam, did you learn anything today? I I don't know if I learned anything, but I'm just so pleased with the fact that you sought out a straight movie and couldn't do it. <laughs> I tried. This was in my head to do for weeks, and I was like, great, birthday coming up, going to treat myself. Skirt! Wait a second. You could have done this at any time. I know. Well, I'm glad to save it for around my birthday. Honestly, for you to watch it with me and to also love it means so much to me. If you had hated this movie, I think I would be devastated. So this is the inverse of my birthday episode where I make you watch <laughs> The Blair Witch and you're like, I promise I will never do that again. I hated that. <laughs> I said I respected it, though. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, this was such a fun episode. Uh, I could not love this movie more. Fucking roll that song, Lizzie. Let's go. It's time to dance for our parents. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.